Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. This was a really crazy week in the news at the local and national levels. And when we sat down thinking about what we might do on the Friday to end this week, we said we need to talk about all of that. And we thought about who would be great characters, great personalities to bring into the studio who were knowledgeable and informed about the issues, but also could bring a little fun to all of this discussion on a Friday. So I reached out to a few friends, uh, all of whom are experts on these subjects, to come be part of the show today and talk about all of this. And that's what we intend to do this hour. We also want to hear from you, of course, all hour. We're going to be talking about the fifth anniversary of Detroit's historic bank Bankruptcy. We'll also be talking about President Donald Trump's spectacular foul-up uh, in front of Vladimir Putin and the world press uh, this week after the Helsinki summit he had with the Russian leader. And as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work you into the conversation. And joining me now to get this conversation kicked off is Bill Nowling. He is the managing director and partner at Lambert Edwards & Associates, a PR firm that is based in Lansing and Detroit. He was the spokesperson for Detroit Emergency Manager Kevin Orr during the bankruptcy bill. Welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you for being here, and I'd get fired if I didn't say Grand Rapids, Lansing, Detroit, and now New York. Grand so. Rapids, Lansing, and Detroit. See, I didn't and know New that. York. You guys are spreading out. We are uh, spreading out. It's good to be here. <laughs> also here is uh, Sheikha Dalmia. She's a senior analyst at the Reason Foundation, columnist for the week. Sheikha Welcome back to Detroit Today. It's great Thanks to have for you having here. me, Stephen. It's always great to have you with us. Uh, and also with us is Ron Fournier. He's a principal at Truscott Rossman, which is a bipartisan PR firm here in Michigan. He uh, is the former publisher of Crane's Detroit Business and was a longtime Washington correspondent for the National Journal and some other publications uh, for a, a long time. Ron, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yes. And we should note that of the four of us, Ron is in the most pleasant environs. Uh, he's vacationing up north uh, this week, uh, which I think the rest of us probably wish we were doing. Uh, Ron, what is the weather like up there? Sunny and gorgeous. Yeah, see, you just gonna rub it in too on top of it. You don't <laughs> think? You don't Full disclosure: think... I'm not working. I'm I'm moderating for MHAP, a conference up here in Traverse City, oh. but it's still sunny. Yeah. So you're not actually vacationing. You're just not actually vacationing, yeah. but it's you know you have work in nice spots. Yeah. <laughs> the quote marks around work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start by talking about the bankruptcy and the fifth anniversary of the bankruptcy. We talked a little earlier this week with uh, retirees uh, who were uh, the subject of some of the deepest cuts. Uh, that had to be made in order to get the city through the bankruptcy and into the future. Uh, we talked with the maker of an upcoming documentary who is taking a close look at what has happened in the city since the bankruptcy, uh, talking with lots of people who live here about what the effect has been on their lives. Bill, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you were uh, the spokesperson for Kevin Orr when, when he was here, somebody who was very close to the process. Uh, I, I'm curious what your perspective is on how the city's doing five years after the bankruptcy. 
Well, I think that, you know, from a financial standpoint, uh, the, the city's on good footing. And that was the whole purpose of the of the bankruptcy and the plan of adjustment, which mm-hmm. was to, uh, as I like to say, you know, to get rid of the promises that we can't keep and replace them with promises that we can keep. And that's really what the restructuring process does. We eliminated some debt. We restructured it. People took less money, retirees, creditors. A lot of people did. Um, you know, so, I mean, it was... Uh, it was it was shared across a, a broad spectrum, but the whole point of it was with the assumption that the government and the city should exist to provide services. And if it can't do that, then we need to get it to a point to do that. So I think we did that. You know, the plan of adjustment created a, a revenue stream in the restructuring that puts about um, oh about a hundred and fifty million dollars back into the general fund each year for that used to be going to debt. Yeah, it used right. to be going to debt and, you know, pay off Wall Street. Now that that money is staying here in Detroit, in this in the city can spend that on services. And so you're seeing that investment take place in the city. And I think you're seeing uh, I think you're seeing that impact of the bankruptcy. Although some of the work had started and some of the comeback had started before the city went into bankruptcy, but I think it was accelerated after the city came out because it took, you know, it took the attention and the resources that were being spent on dealing with the financial troubles of the city. And uh, now it has created some capacity for uh, government officials to focus on other issues that need to be addressed in here. And I think you're seeing that, but there's still a lot of work yeah. to, to do. I mean, we, we talked on the actual anniversary of July 18th uh, on the show about, uh, we talked a little about the expectations, right, uh, that that were raised by such a dramatic move to file bankruptcy uh, and some false expectations, I think, that, that have cropped up that the bankruptcy was somehow going to solve all of the problems that we have here in the city of Detroit. And I think, A, you can't blame the folks who live here and have sort of suffered through the city's decline for uh, for having those expectations. I think they're, they're, they're quite properly desperate for uh, solutions and, and for improvement. Uh, but at the same time, it makes it tough, I think, to to govern a city sometimes uh, because these expectations are out there and everyone figures, look, downtown and midtown, they're doing great. Uh, how come How come my neighborhood isn't? How come uh, things aren't uh, all sort of better where I live? Yeah, and it's going to be some time before that that happens. I just think that, you know, the situation that Detroit found itself in at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, was 70 years in the making. And, you know, to reverse that is going to take some time. Now, I think that it's being reversed pretty fast, but it's not being reversed fast enough into the community. But I think that you're seeing, you know, we we have a couple clients that work for us, uh, that we work for, that are doing development outside of the Mm 7.2. They're focused on how do we bring development, how do we bring this resurgence out to the community by providing affordable housing, by providing uh, places for people to start and grow their businesses, and how do we do that in a way that's sustainable, that that meets the needs? So you're seeing more of that start to happen, and I think that that's good, and that's what's going to drive this uh, resurgence out into the community. But you know, I mean, I don't live in the city, so I'm only an observer, and I'm and I'm very conscious about what I say about the city mm-hmm. because I don't want people to be offended that I'm telling them what they should do, and right. I, I'm not. But I think that 
you know, there's going to be, it has to be this, this effort placed now that the city has the resources and the ability to do it on improving policing, you know, to where it's really community policing and not just reactive community policing, you know, improving those times, improving service times um, with fire, those still continue to be, you know, things that people in other communities don't think about. Right. People think about here. And those are the things that are really going to have an impact. Yeah. And that's to say nothing about things like economic opportunity, education, inclusion, uh, inclusion. I mean, all the things that that are really still kind of in tatters uh, here in in Detroit. Uh, Sheikha, I'm, I'm sort of interested and how you, as a libertarian, uh, look at this idea of bankruptcy and the concept of municipal bankruptcy in in general. Is that, you know, and there are a lot of people who still believe uh, it was wrong for the city to file bankruptcy to, to, to get out of some of the debts that it had, particularly the debts to pensioners. Uh, was that the right move? Uh, Well, you know, from a libertarian standpoint, I suppose there is something troubling uh, when a government uh, entity takes it upon itself to break its uh, existing contracts and break promises. And, and, um, you know, and so on, you know, at that level, it was troubling. On the other hand, there was no option at that point. I mean, Detroit was bleeding money hand over fist and it just simply couldn't go on. Um, so, you know, so it was inevitable that this was going to happen. Uh, what, you know, what was the alternative if uh, yeah. already there was a, you know, state component to the bailout that Detroit got, there was a federal money thrown in, and uh, the haircuts for both the, well, for the public employee mm-hmm. uh, creditors uh, were fairly mild in my view, and private creditors quite deservedly got big haircuts because they kept bankrolling the city even though they knew that uh, the city was borrowing from its credit card, maxed it out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so given all of that, uh, I don't think there was an alternative to bankruptcy. I mean, I really do feel for the retirees whose uh, assumptions late in life, the nest egg that they had saved, mm-hmm. was uh, suddenly decimated or is seriously, um, you know, truncated. So, I mean, all of that, I you know, needed to happen, but it was unfortunate. The bigger question, of course, is how is it working right. out? What's, and, what's um, happening? And, you know, I've actually went back and uh, read some of the articles that I wrote at that time. Mm-hmm. And one in particular was interesting because I was responding to actually both people like Melissa Perry Harris uh, at MSNBC and libertarians. And, uh, you know, Harris was predicting a Mad Max future for Detroit because now hmm. the size of government was going to be shrunk. Huh. And libertarians were saying, yay, you know, now Detroit <laughs> is going to come back. <laughs> and uh, you know they were both not quite, yeah they were both not right yeah, in right. some ways uh, you know so yeah Detroit is actually not doing that badly I mean I do question some of the hype surrounding the Renaissance but on the other hand it's not Mad Max by any stretch of the imagination yeah. and uh, you know libertarians who thought that there was would be a you know massive resurgence were not quite right either. So, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this idea of resurgence and comeback, I mean, that's a word that's pretty loaded in in the Detroit context, I think, right now. And there are people who... Uh, who use it pretty liberally, uh, and I think they're talking about something very specific, but there's other people who push back and say, well, some places are coming back, other places, you know, are are, are not. Um, And... 
the investment that has taken place since the bankruptcy, I think, is partially, you know, partially owes to the idea that the city is a little more stable place to invest and uh, maybe a little friendlier. Uh, but, but again, this idea that, um, you know, that, that the bankruptcy was going to solve everything is, it's just too much to put on, on that process. Right. I mean, all the bankruptcy did was allow the government to clean up its books, right? I mean, right. which is good and important, but it's not the stuff of a renaissance. I mean, for a renaissance, you know, you have to think about what produced the malaise in Detroit in the first place. And I, you know, for me, there were two things. One, that there were government employees who were, you know, living off of taxpayers. And then you had crony capitalists who were not paying their fair share of taxes. You know, the only reason businesses came to Detroit was if they got a massive tax break. Yeah. And there's Uh, still a lot and there on. is the, and that's my point yeah. and you you know you know not to take anything away from Dan Gilbert but crony capitalism is still very much a fundamental part of this comeback uh, and uh, you know the government has shrunk some of its roles but I am not sure it has shrunk it enough to have a sustainable recovery. So for me, the big test for Detroit is going to be the next recession. Yeah. Is it going to survive that? Right. If it survives that, then, you know, I think it's good. If yeah. it doesn't, you know, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm somebody who, who believes that we've come far enough at this point that we won't go back to what we had before, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but I do think that, for instance, uh, if you think about what the kind of things that happen in recession, right, uh, it's, it becomes much less likely for people to sink cash into real estate. Well, look at the number of cash sales that still take place in Detroit. I mean, we've got this great housing boom taking place, but the banks are not as much a part of it as they should be. And so we will take a bigger hit in the real estate market, for instance, uh, during the next recession than other cities might because they're not so reliant on, on cash sales. No one seems to sort of talk about those things, right? No one seems right. to, to want to talk about how we, you know, how we start dealing with those, that level of, of dysfunction. But, uh, but you're right, that the next recession will be a real test. Um, Ron Fournier, uh, you wrote this week about the bankruptcy. Uh, pretty optimistic outlook. Uh, talked about how your hometown is back uh, uh, five years after that bankruptcy. Tell me why, why you think that's so. Boy, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that optimistically written, because I don't know <laughs> if I'm that optimistic. Uh, first of all, um, I, I shy away from the word comeback for a different reason than you mentioned. Uh, to me, comeback suggests um, um, coming back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in, in Detroit, in a part of Detroit that I'm not sure we wanted to, uh, to, to, to be back that way, it, it, although it was uh, middle class and and um, I had a good way of life. People who didn't look like me uh, weren't allowed to live there or go to school there. Sure. Um, so Detroit never was, uh, there never was a heyday for everybody in Detroit. I don't think we want to recreate what Detroit was even in the early 60s or the, or the 50s. And so yeah. those issues, for as far as we come, and it is amazing. I mean, when I started the story with the, with the you know, the, just the, um, you know how breathtaking it is to see Ford moving into uh, this this uh, uh, silent star of ruin porn, mm-hmm. uh, the the, uh, um, the the train depot. Um, that is a symbol of how far we've come. But the issues that have always held us back, um, 
even in the so-called heyday, are still there. Uh, yeah. Crime and poverty. Um, the, the schools are absolutely atrocious. Um, it's just it's 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 um, um, criminal that we're that we're um, starting kids off on such a um, low footing in 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 the public and charter schools in, in Detroit. And how do we how do we make uh, the city as great as it needs to be if um, the best among us are being are starting out in schools that are um, so far behind the rest of the nation, much less the world. And then, of course, uh, racial issues and racial tension, which have, have always been um, the seamy underside of um, everything good and bad about uh, sure. Detroit. Yeah. Um, we've come a long way there, um, obviously, um, um, but you still see a lot of that tension. Uh, you saw it play out just a couple weeks ago in the in the regional transit uh, fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and blown away by how far we've come since we were given this clean slate by bankruptcy. And uh, credit to political business and, and, and cultural leaders who pulled together to give uh, the city that chance. And, and for pretty much this last five years, setting aside ego and, and um, um, uh, old divisions and, and you know, giving us the kind of progress we've had, but boy, there's still so much to be done, and 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 I hope that came through in the piece because yeah. I, I don't think we're even close to where we need to be. But I could not have predicted we have got we would have gotten this far. Yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the news this week, local news uh, about the bankruptcy, and uh, national news about Russia and President Trump and President Putin. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones three one three five seven seven. 1019 is the number if you want to join the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. This hour we are talking about the big news this week on the local level and the national level. The fifth anniversary of Detroit's historic bankruptcy was this week. And then we saw President Donald Trump in Helsinki with Russian President Vladimir Putin and Trump saying very strange things uh, for a U.S. president about the Russian president, about the possibility that the Russians interfered in the U.S. election in 2016. Uh, if you want to give us a call and join the conversation, uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. My guests are Bill Nowling, manager, Managing Director and Partner of Lambert Edwards and Associates. He's the former spokesperson for Detroit Emergency Manager Kevin Orr. Also with us is Sheikha Dalmia, Senior Analyst at the Reason Foundation, columnist for the week, and we've got Ron Fournier, principal at Truscott Rossman, a bipartisan PR firm here as well, longtime journalist uh, in Washington. Uh, Ron Fournier was uh, somebody who saw all of this stuff, uh, this stuff with Russia up close uh, for for a long time. Uh, again, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Bill, I, I want to start with you this segment and and ask: Is there something that you would have done differently, or is there something that that you think we should have contemplated differently during the bankruptcy? that might have put us in a better position now? Well, we would have liked to have been done earlier. 
There, there's no question about that. I mean, time, time. I mean, it the, went pretty fast. It went pretty fast. <laughs> I mean, we, it was 22 and a half months, 22 months, 14 days, and I think seven hours <laughs> if someone's counting. But, um, but you know, we knew that um, while, while people didn't like and residents didn't like the city under emergency management. Yeah. We knew that if we could stabilize some of the services and start to show progress on moving forward with, with not only improving services um, to whatever degree that we could get some early wins, but also show progress on restructuring, getting some deals done, that um, that people, while they, they, they oppose the emergency manager, were willing to to kind of take a wait and see approach to this. And we knew that the longer we were here, the more you risk that. So yeah. we targeted 18 months to be done. So, I mean, we were, we were close, but it was, it was, you know, you get into this and it's like, how much of the restructuring can you do? And at some point you just got to say, we've reached the end of what we got to do. So it would have been easier to do that. You know, I think that, um, we, we needed to have more, community input and more community uh, involvement. We mm-hmm. had some, it wasn't enough, um, you know, and that was, that was our own fault for, you know, wanting to limit that. Um, because what we learned in this process was, is that people can take bad news. What people can't take is public officials being dishonest with yeah, them. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and we really tried from, from the standpoint of say, you know, we're not going to try to spin this, you know, we're not trying to win a political election. We're the guys that leave after this is done. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we don't have to worry about what, you know, getting reelected or getting employed or doing any of that stuff. So I think we needed to have more, um, you know, more opportunity for, for public involvement in that so people could have, have a say um, and have and hear from the people that are making the decisions other than reading about it in the paper or on TV or you know, trying to follow it on social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tim. Tim in Bagley. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Good morning. Thank hey. you very much. Sure. Uh, my my statement really is a response to the gentleman, uh, the prior caller before the break. Uh, he said some very good things. Uh, he said in very even tone voice, but even well intended as he was, he even made the comment that uh, you know people like me weren't as lucky or able to advance, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing, in the so-called good old days. Sure. Uh, then he went on to add that the schools are atrocious and bad. That's when I had to call in. Um, I am a teacher, yes, so I'm not you know, defending <laughs> it. I'm just trying to set the record straight. Okay. We live in a highly industrialized area. What was prime and key here in this region was able hands and able body. Come to work, let's build these cars, buses, tanks, and other platforms and whatever which means it attracted a great many types of people to the area because you could make some money and get a living. It did not, at the same time, suggest go to school, leave, and do something else. It said stay submerged in $30 to $50 an hour, work with us. The school systems are not bad in themselves. The building can't be. It's just a physical Hmm. plant. The teachers are excellent because I've worked with many good teachers. We're overtrained, overworked, underpaid, and we're spat on. It's not the teachers. It's not the system. You've got a governor who knows white privilege, along with our secretary—excuse me, secretary of education. People who say things like the gentleman did. I'm not faulting him, 
that it wasn't as good for others as it was like me. They don't know how to look below their nose. When you have a certain standard or you come from one and the world just doesn't seem to meet that standard, then everything mm. must be thrown out, including the baby with the bathwater. Huh. We have a problem here in this country, and I keep calling it and saying it. If you have a high degree of uneducable, uneducated, non-job transferable from blue collar to other things now, then you've got a very low level of education and of course there's a very long shadow that associates with that called yeah. ignorance and poverty. Yeah, Tim, I, Those I, two things is what destroys us. Yeah, Tim, I, I, I really appreciate the call and the, and the comments. Uh, I should make clear that Ron Fournier is not a caller. He's a guest here on the show. Um, but Ron, I'll give you a chance to to address what Tim's talking about there. Yeah, Tim, first, I appreciate your, your service to our kids. Uh, I have a family that teaches and is taught in the Detroit Public Schools. You are absolutely right. I agree with you. Uh, teachers are not the problem. You are um, overworked, underpaid, undersupported. I think for um, the city to come back, uh, Detroit needs to be the number one place for teachers to work. This has got to be a place where People all over the country want to come to teach because the pay is so high, the support is so good, the sure. classes are so small. Um, we have a problem in this entire state with underfunding and under support of our education system. And we have a problem in this entire state with um, charter schools that are mm -hmm. not being held to the same standard as public schools, mm -hmm. where there's no cross-accountability um, and therefore unfair competition. Um, it's, it's dragging all of our kids down. It's especially pernicious in Detroit. It's not the fault of the teachers. It's not the fault of any any one entity, but it's a, it's a fact that um, our schools are not as strong as they need to be statewide, and especially in Detroit, where the where the need is the greatest, uh, the support seems to be the least. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would also point out, Tim, I mean, I, I live in the city. I'm raising kids here in the city. There's no question that schools are atrocious, right? Uh, I, I had the privilege of uh, starting my kids' education out in a different city, in Baltimore. Uh, that's a city that also has a lot of problems and is by no means a garden spot. But the difference in the number of quality choices I had to enroll my kids in school in Baltimore and Detroit was just mind-blowing. And that is not any different today than it was when I moved back here in uh, in 2007. So, uh, and I don't, I don't think that's the fault of teachers uh, like you, Tim. I, I do think that's the fault of the way that, uh, I think it's the fault of, of all of us in, in the way that we've not cared for the system, not invested in it, not held uh, the system accountable for the, the outcomes that we all want, the way we've allowed charter schools to just sort of uh, uh, insinuate themselves into the system and not make it better uh, uh, and, and not hold them accountable. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of blame for that. Um, but I, I definitely appreciate the call and the comments.